0: Today we are continuing to think about what it means to be in mission as the people of God, and we're going to be looking at the end of Acts chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. As we get ready to do that, I want to give you my primary question right out of the gate, and that is, how is the mission of God linked with our generosity? How is mission and generosity, how are those two things Put together. I want you to think for a moment about all the things you possess. And and that's more than just stuff, right? You have financial resources, you have intellectual resources, you have physical resources and abilities, you have relational possessions or resources that God has given you. But I want us to think about all of those things. What are they for? Why have they been given to you? What are you doing with them? In a book by church planter Mike Breen, he relays the true story of a guy named Billy Harrell Jr., who, I believe in 1996, won the Texas lottery. And prior to to that, he had worked multiple jobs, had been struggling to kind of make ends meet in his life. But the jackpot that he won was $31 million. And so with that money, he decided to quit his job at Home Depot. We're told that he gave sizable donations to his church and other charitable organizations. He began to buy gifts for his friends and family. But along with all that new money... There were new tensions introduced into old friendships. Things began to get troubled in his marriage. And and life became so difficult for Billy Harold Jr. that within two years of winning the lottery, he actually took his own life. And a few weeks before his death, he had confided in his financial advisor that winning the lottery was the worst thing that ever happened. Happen to me. There are times, it seems, when what we possess, our possessions, can begin to possess us. But they don't have to. And we get a, a very different vision of, of what possessions are for in the early chapters of Acts. In fact, there are a number of places where we're told about the unique unique way that community held their possessions and and the things they had been given, and and the incredible generosity which they they used these things among one another in community. Luke, as he writes the book of Acts, he tells us that in addition to the healing miracles present in the early church, in addition to the powerful preaching of Peter and John, that the Holy Spirit also advanced the mission through the simple way that this community thought about its stuff, right? what they did with it, what they they did with all the gifts they had been given. We're told they had a missional sense of generosity. Somehow, the things that each of us possess have power. And that's true whether we have a wealth of things or whether we possess just enough to get by. Right? Our possessions have the power to, to join us more deeply into the mission of God and the things that he's doing in our world. But our possessions also have the power to distract or even destroy us in some cases. As we look in the book of Acts today we will see examples of of both of those realities, the the positive reality of, of what possessions can do and also their destructive power. Let me pray for us that God would give us a clear understanding of how his generosity to us can become a missional way in which we follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we... I've recalled already this morning that you are the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. You've, you've made everything. Everything we possess is a gift from you. Lord, it's our desire that you would show us your graciousness, your kindness, your goodness. And you would teach us how to become like you in the way that we give, in the way that we use these possessions. Lord, may the words of my mouth now as I preach, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read from Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. Now, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared To anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The Chinese church has a phrase that's often said in worship services, it's part of a familiar course within the Chinese church. And it goes like this: "Sa, Yesuli, woman, ijaran. Sometimes this will even be said when you enter someone's home for, for worship as part of a house church, especially if you're sharing a meal. And translated, it means, "In Jesus we are one family." They take that idea seriously. And I think verse 32 here captures the, the same essence, the same concept when it tells us that the church here in Jerusalem had become a family. It says the believers were one in heart and mind. And I think that that oneness, that sense of of being like a family, caused them to see what they had, the possessions they had, as belonging to all. They began to share those with one another. Think about the way that most families treat Possessions. Typically, we're willing to go the extra mile to make sure people in our families have what they need and maybe have even more than they need, have opportunities and things uh, that encourage them, that bless them. Parents will will go to great lengths, they'll set aside money over many years to to buy special things for their kids, to put money in college funds so that they can have opportunities. They'll they'll save up to to purchase things for their children or for their family members that they would never purchase for themselves. There's a a generosity there. And so when you're in a family, it's it's rare for for one person to insist that this is mine and this is yours. When you're part of a a family, ownership or possession is is a more fluid concept. Now, of course, that that fluidity can be frustrating when you go into the kitchen in the evening to get a bowl of ice cream and to discover that you've unintentionally shared that ice cream with your children. There's nothing left. But that same fluidity, that same principle of of generosity is helpful when you forget to pack a toothbrush on vacation and then you discover you have four other options available to you (laughs) thanks to your family. And I've probably just grossed everybody out. But right, we we learn to share things with one another. Think as Luke describes this early church in Jerusalem. He increasingly wants us to see that they thought of one another as as a household, as a family of God's people growing together. And so it says in verse 34 that from time to time then, as this community, as this family... From time to time, those who owned land among them or houses would sell them, and they brought the money from those sales to put at the apostles' feet. And the apostles would then distribute that out to anyone who had need. As they grew in their understanding of what it meant to be a child of God, they, they grew also in their understanding then that Everything they had belonged to God. First, it was a gift from him, and that it was also a gift to their brothers and sisters in this family. I've witnessed and and received this kind of generosity here at JCC. I've I've seen you doing this. Every month, you give regularly to our deacon's fund, which, sort of like the concept described here, is, is a way for us to then distribute out to those who we're aware of, that have need. This past month, you tripled the goal that we had in giving to our food shelves. There are many of you who quietly and constantly behind the scenes offer help to one another in some pretty astonishing ways. And what God has given us then is for the mission of this whole family. But I think it's also important to distinguish how this sharing, how this generosity takes place, uh, to distinguish that from maybe overly idealistic or utopian or, or sort of communitarian understandings of, of sharing. I think the sharing that's described in the book of Acts is always spirit-inspired, and it's also always Voluntary. There's, there's never a sense that this is a prerequisite for being part of or, or being a member of this community. These first believers don't immediately run to their, their bank accounts or, and, and empty them and, and give everything they have away. But they are routinely and, and regularly sacrificing and giving from what they have as they are aware of need. Because they're sharing their lives together, they're able to notice those needs. And so in verse 33, we're told that God's grace was so powerfully at work among them that all who had need were, were taken care of. It's the grace of God, Acts says, that was at work among them. Rarely does setting expectations or rules or sort of numbers about giving, rarely does that lead to real generosity. But when we exercise grace, a community can be transformed to be generous. The word grace literally means gift. It's it's the recognition that, that all we have is a gift from God, that God is constantly blessing, constantly giving to Constantly filling up the people that he loves. And so I want to challenge you then to think about generosity in that way. As an expression, as a participation in the grace of God. I want you to think about your own giving as, as a way to sort of be like your heavenly father. Right? To enter into the joy of, of sharing what we have graciously been given. Verse 36, at the end of this chapter, introduce us, introduces us to one of the first grace-filled acts of generosity in that community. And as we're introduced to this, this act of generosity, we're also introduced to a person for the first time who will become a, a key player in the book of Acts, a pioneer for the mission of that early church. And it's a man named Joseph Joseph. Incidentally, we're told that Joseph is a Levite, and and maybe that's just a throwaway comment, but I think it's it's maybe helpful to think about how, if you go back in Scripture, the Levites were the tribe, the one tribe out of 12 that were the priestly people. They're also the people who had very little. They had very little in the way of land or possessions because they were intentionally called by God to depend on the generosity of others for their well-being. Well, we're told here that, that over time, you know, things changed in the way that the tribes worked and the land arrangements worked, and that Joseph and his family were, were able to acquire a field. And Joseph certainly could have held tightly to that possession. He could have kept it back for himself. But the grace of God so fully possesses him and, and motivates him that he decides to sell the, the little land he possesses. In order that he might bring it to this new church family and give it to those who had need. And that act of generosity is such a blessing that the apostles slap Joseph with a nickname. They call him Bar Nabas, literally, son of encouragement. That's the kind of person he is, that's the kind of character he exhibits. And I think it is Barnabas's open-handedness with what he has that makes him available for the mission of God in other ways, too. Barnabas is mentioned here in Acts 4. He also appears several times in the later chapters of this book. He's the the person who welcomes the Apostle Paul and sort of mentors or befriends him when, when Paul shows up in Jerusalem at first. And later, of course, they they become companions traveling to the far-flung corners of the Roman world with the the word and and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think maybe then Luke is is hinting that the roots of this this missionary or missional lifestyle of Barnabas begin in, in this posture of generosity, right of offering everything he has to God. Recognizing that whether it's his land, or his time, or the plans he has for the future, that all of these things are are things that the Spirit could could guide and direct and lead him in. That they could be released to bless others in the mission of God. We want to possess, then, like Barnabas, what we have gracefully. Entering into and exercising the grace of God. And we want to do that so that our possessions don't begin to possess us. And we see the the antithesis of of the way Barnabas and the early church held their possessions. We see the antithesis of that at the start of chapter 5. Let me read now chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. These 11 verses at the start of Acts 5 are one of those Sunday school stories that probably we heard growing up and didn't know what to do with. Right, Ananias and Sapphira's story is tragic, and if we're honest, the, the, the consequence, the, the nature of their punishment is intense, right? It happens so suddenly that we're left with a lot of questions, right? What do we do with this story? Well, I think Luke's intention in including it here at the start of chapter 5 is that he wants us to read this alongside of the story of Barnabas that we've just encountered, He wants us to compare these two things and and to consider what they have to say about what true generosity and and maybe what deceptive generosity look like. Because on the surface of, of things, what Barnabas did and what Ananias and Sapphira do look very similar, right? In both cases, there is a piece of land that is sold and then proceeds from that sale are brought to the apostles feet and distributed out to the church but at the end of one of those actions right for Barnabas he's praised as a son of encouragement and at the end of the other Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead right so what's the difference well for for that to be more, more clearly understood, Luke wants us to go past the appearances, kind of the externalities of generosity. And he wants to dig deeper into the territory of the heart of the giver. And we get some of those interior details in verses 2 through 4, especially for Ananias. First, we're told that Ananias and Sapphira, as they consider selling this land they decide they're going to split that real estate transaction into two different categories. It says that they decide that they'll keep part of it back for them, themselves and they'll take the other part and designate it as a gift to the church. It's kind of a, a sum for me some-for-God approach to generosity. But compare that idea with what we read back in Acts 4.32, where it said, you know, all this, this early church community, including Barnabas and the others, among that community, no one claimed any possession was their own, but they shared what they had. What, what is generosity then? Right? Is, is it kind of like Ananias and Sapphira have, have conceived where, where we split things up? Is generosity like a yard sale where we, we take part of our lives and we put it in a keeper stack? Right? And we take the other part of our assets or our lives and we put them in a giveaway pile. And we say, you can have that, but don't touch this. This is mine. It's for me and me only. I think we're also told that in deciding to split apart, in in splitting up their possessions, that Ananias and Sapphira in verse 3 sort of become split people as well. Their hearts, their desires, their spirits are split. Part of them wants to follow God in his mission. They're part of this church for a reason. But but the other part of them, the part that wants to hold things back, right? that also begins to possess part of them, that that desire to maintain an independent or or self-centered identity. And verse 3 tells us that the guile of Satan himself seizes that opportunity and, and begins to fill a portion of their hearts. Peter says, to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Right? Where where did that space for him to enter come from? Peter rather boldly and prophetically addresses, he confronts Ananias, and I and I think Ananias's sin here is not in having personal possessions. Many of those believers still retained land or houses. It says from time to time they sold them. So, so some of them remained in their possession. The sin was not having personal possessions. It wasn't even in using financial resources to, to meet the needs that he had for himself. I think his sin, his sin is in presuming to stand before God and say, this can be yours, but this is mine only. Right? The, the vision of generosity, in God's mind, it, is more total, it's more integrated, it's more holistic than that. Right? As we've already said, generosity is an act of grace. It, it's not a guarded or dividing kind of giving. And I think there's something in Ananias and Sapphira that know this. Right? It's likely that the, the convicting presence of God's Spirit has pricked their conscience, And instead of being vulnerable or or transparent about what they've done, they sense this this inner consistency and they choose to make things worse by covering over it with a lie. They fudge the details of this transaction. And they they tell the church they've actually given a greater percentage of this sale than they actually have. So Peter says in verse 4, You've not only lied to your church family, but you have lied to God himself. That deceit is, is antithetical to, to the mission, to the, the community that's being established in this early church. Right? Everything we have has come from God. Everything we have is meant to, to go back out to him and to his purposes through us. And so for reasons that, that we can't fully discern in the wisdom of God, God chooses to rather abruptly interrupt Ananias and Sapphira's sense of, of independence here. And he chooses to shorten the number of their days. It says that both of them are instantly struck dead. And so now what they have held back perishes, and they lose the opportunity to, to participate to follow god in his mission with it right that's not where you and i want to go together that's not an authentic or 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 life-giving approach to generosity some for me some for god right we want to to bring all of what we have to him so i want to conclude by just giving you a, a really simple exercise or application you might try this week uh, in a book that I mentioned earlier by Mike Breen, it's called Oikonomics, which is the word for household in Greek, right? how we use the things that God has, has placed in our families and households. He, he talks about having five different areas of capital in our lives. He talks about our spiritual capital, our relational capital, our physical capital, our intellectual capital, and lastly, our financial right. A, capital the 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 money that we have and he he encourages us to do a kind of audit right first take inventory where do you have gifts where where has God graciously given you things in each of those five areas maybe take a few minutes to, to journal those things out or to list them out in bullet point form right what resources what possessions has God given me in the different dimensions of my life And then as you look over that list, the second step is to ask, where are those things being invested? Where might God be providing an opportunity or or maybe a sense of conviction and prompting to invest them in his mission and purpose, right? To to give them away or or to share them or, or to use them in a way that brings life and joy as we think about the capital of grace God has given us and how we invest it back in his kingdom, let me pray for us today. Lord, we are humbled by how good and gracious and generous you are. Lord, might we respond with worship and joy and generosity of our own that we would follow your spirit where you go in mission. And may everything we possess May all of it be returned to you and used in the building of your kingdom for the glory of your name. Amen.